When it comes to making your own comics, a lot of people choose to start with zines. These small, self-published, often handwritten and hand-printed works feel like the purest form of the creator's vision. There are no filters, no editors, and often no time to stop and go over your work before it's out in front of the masses at the next fair or convention. As the creator grows and their work becomes more established, they can sometimes find themselves with decisions to make. Sometimes, in order to gain traction and popularity with an audience, a creator has to make certain compromises, which can be as simple as hiring an editor, or completely changing how they approach their stories. There are also those creators' approach to convert their work into other mediums like TV shows or movies. At that point, further compromises need to be made, which, in extreme, can lead to fairly acrimonious circumstances. Just ask Alan Moore. This is an oversimplification of a very nuanced industry, of course, one with hundreds if not thousands of different situations across the spectrum. These are things that creators need to consider, however, as their career progresses and the relationship with their work and their audience develops. My name's Matt Loon and today on the show I'm joined by Aditya Bidika and Alice Castle to talk about all aspects of comics, from zines to the big screen. This is That's the Issue. I'm Aditya Bidikar and I letter comics like uh, Little Bird, These Savage Shores and Coffin Bound. Hi, my name is Alice W. Castle. I am a freelance comics critic who's written at Multiversity Comics, Panel by Panel and Shelf Dust. Uh, I also self-publish poetry under Laurel Perhelion Sunderland. Welcome back to That's the Issue. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you both. Um, I know, um, Aditya, I've, I've meant to have you on the show for a long time. I think it was like about a year ago that we were meant to chat and uh, it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, that was about Paradiso, I think, right? It was, yeah. That was such a while ago, yeah. And Alice, we worked together <laughs> at Multiversity a while ago and yeah. now we've kind of met a few times since then. Um, but it's good to actually sit down with you. Hell yeah, I'm very excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, so Same here, um, yeah. We're all uh, at various levels of sleep patterns. <laughs> so I'm uh, going to do like we talked about it off podcast, but uh, on the show, I'll just say now, uh, you know, we, it might be coherent, it might be incoherent, um, but uh, we will um, try to be as entertaining as possible for you. Um, but, uh, but Aditya, we'll start with you then. So you are um, obviously letter for so many books like one of the things i like to do is kind of look up and go right what are people working on at the moment but i had to kind <laughs> of I, I just thought to myself like i'm just gonna have to ask you because there's your name is feels like it's everywhere at the moment which is great because i do love your work but um what books thank you, you what books are you currently working on yeah I've, I've actually cut down on my uh quantity of work for this year uh but at the moment i'm working on uh hellblazer for dc mm-hmm. and um uh, I'm working on the follow-up to Little Bird called Precious Metal. Uh, that's coming out like summer 2020, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I think the one I can talk about is, oh, yes, Blue and Green with uh, Ram V and Anand uh, Radhakrishnan. Uh, so basically, that's the follow-up to Graffiti's Wall, which I did with the same team, which I hand-lettered. Mm. So this time also I'm hand-lettering it, but uh, on an iPad rather than on pen and paper because that turned out to be excruciating. Graphics Wall is a fantastic book, by the way. And if you're listening to oh, this and you. haven't read it, you have to read it. It is. Oh, yeah. Like, apart from my lettering, it's I think it's a brilliant book. Like, both the writing and the artwork are just amazing. So I think, yes, I, I agree with Alice. Um, other than that, I think, uh, uh, did I say Volume 2 of, sec- uh, of Coffin Bound is coming uh, summer 2020? Right, yeah. Um, I think that's all I can talk about at the moment. There's, mm. there's a few other things, but I don't think I can talk about them. I love when people get to the certain stage of um, <laughs> being 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 like in in comics where they can turn around and go, you know what? I can't tell you what I'm working on. <laughs> I think when you when you first start, when you first get into comics, you will tell everyone yeah. everything. You're like, I'm working on this. Oh my god, I can't wait to tell you. Whereas you get to a certain point, it's actually just like, you know what? No, I can't tell you. <laughs> that must feel pretty good. Yeah. 
uh, well, it does, but also it is a little frustrating because as a letterer, I am not always sure when it's okay to talk about things. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I just wait for things to be announced, and then I'm like, okay, I guess I can talk about it now. <laughs> yeah. Other people will uh, will break the news for you, and then you kind of jump on afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So th- I think that's my slate for now. Like, th- there's a few other things. I th- I think I'm I'm on around eight books at the moment, mm. uh, which is a little lower than my usual. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's good to uh, hear that the uh, Graffiti's Wall team are coming back together again, because um, yeah. as, as Alice said, that is a that is a really really strong like book from last year, and um, it was it, it was just brilliant. From and I mean, your lettering was good. Now, as much as you say that you you weren't <laughs> pleased with it, and I imagine the process. Sound no, no, I was quite pleased with the book, but I was, uh, I, I just mean that even like I, I can't necessarily like, um, like I, I, when I look at the book, I can see the sort of flaws in my work, uh, but I know that the other people did a really good job. So like that's that's all I can kind of sort of uh, be entirely sure about. Yeah, so, yeah. I, the new one's gonna be very different. Uh, it's it's more like a it's it's set in the US and it's kind of a jazz noir horror kind of book. Yeah. Um, and hopefully my lettering also reflects that. Uh, Mm. I've seen a few of the. Um, I don't know whether he's released full pages or whether it's just been a couple of like images and snapshots that Ramby's been sharing out about it. It looks fantastic. It looks really yeah. atmospheric and kind of moody. And nah, he's he knows how to tease. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. And then Alice, you, um, I met you again at uh, Thought Bubble this year. Um, how was your yeah. experience at that uh, the festival? Um, expensive. Um, <laughs> I, I spent. Uh, far more money than even I was intending to do. And like mm. Thought Bubble was like the convention I go to with money saved up throughout the year to be like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to drop a ton of money and a ton of cool, really cool comics. Um, I, I, so I, I was actually too scared to like add it all up. I like, yeah, I was like, I, I can't <laughs> know the exact figure, but I'm convinced not even including uh, like travel and lodging, I think I was over 500. Wow. Not including oh, wow. lodging. Yeah, like just wow. on what I spent there. Um, if you go to my Instagram, uh, if you listen to this, LSW Castle, um, there is a picture of my full double bed entirely covered. In <laughs> oh, my God. In, uh, thought bubble, which was fantastic. I, I got a ton of great stuff, but also like yeah. I had to eat yeah. some struggle and she's at work the next week. <laughs> yeah but you're like you're nourishing your mind but like you're actually like just eating dry noodles yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah I, I had that happen to me like the first time i went to thought bubble i think i came came back with a like very incredibly overfull bag and i had to pay extra to get it back home <laughs> uh, so the second and third time i was like okay you know what i need i need to yeah. i need to control myself so this time, this time i actually only bought two books mm. uh that that took a lot of will and self-control wow i was gonna say two books what were the um what were the two books if you don't mind me asking what made the cut uh it was book of forks uh by uh rob davis mm. Uh, that was the that's the end of the trilogy that started with the motherless oven. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, uh, yeah, and infidel by Aaron Campbell, who's drawing Hellblazer, so because I, yeah. I just wanted to kind of get that book. Uh, I, I got three other books, but those I just I just went to my friends and I was like, okay, I'm having that, so like, <laughs> I'm not paying you for it. Right, right. So those don't count as purchases. So. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. yeah, it's like eating food off of someone else's plate. It doesn't count. Oh yeah, so the least I can do is promote them. So that's like uh, Alex Packnadel's uh, Friendo um, uh, with uh, Martin Simmons, uh, then Ryan O'Sullivan and Andrea Motti's uh, Fearscape, yeah. and uh, Lucifer by Dan Waters and uh, the Fiomara Brothers. So, right. so please buy them so that to make up for my uh, <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's one of those festivals i'm the same as you alice like i will spend money i will save money just to spend mm-hmm. at that festival like it's the one big one that i go to every year um and somehow end up coming away with with spending like more money than i was expecting but what annoys me as well like in a good way like there's so much there's so many good books that are being debuted there or finally kind of like, you know, back in print or people that are like pushing them at this festival that everyone, a lot of other times with, with things like that, like, and I've, I've talked about it on the show before, people will, they'll be like 
the best books of 2019 you know you'll at least kind of be able to gauge roughly what's going to be mm-hmm. on those lists and like with Thought Bubble, I'm, I go into it thinking right these are the these are the books people are talking about these are the ones that I want to be able to check out and and come away with but I don't know about you but this year I felt like everyone bought something different yeah. and everyone's hauls looked amazing and i bought like a full you know i bought like uh, i spent far too much money and thought right i've got everything i wanted to get i bought everything i set out to get and then i sat down and looked at people's photos and it was like oh you've you that looks really good I didn't, i've never <laughs> even heard of that one that looks amazing <laughs> but yeah like um, yeah. yeah i was really really um trying to go for something different this year hmm. um so the only books that i got that were the otherwise be like direct market books were um actually a bunch of the same ones that aditya mentioned uh friendo fearscape as well as these savage shores yeah um right. all vault comics uh books as well and then the rest <laughs> yeah. of them i wanted to get um real niche small press stuff my absolute favorite book i got from there was um pain against you died which is a dark souls bloodborne like art fanzine oh wow yeah it's- Ooh, Incredible. wow, that's niche, um, yeah. It's very niche, but it's also Pain Against um, Art, I, I think it's Gen, or it might be Gen, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, her artwork is incredible and is very, very stylistic in a very childlike way. Um, like, I, I, I don't want it to sound insulting when I say it, they look like kids' drawings. Yeah. But it's, it's right. the kind of thing that um like embraces that kind of style. Like it's not Yeah, it's like intentionally stylized like that. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah, not I'm like looking at a world that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh and then you're kind of juxtaposing this real like simplistic kind of childlike wonder to the artwork with, you know, Dark Souls and Bloodborne, these real yes. um yeah. like dark uh macabre fantasy works with like real like eldritch undertones and it's just ah, oh, it was it was incredible it was my favorite book i got the entire uh that entire weekend nice. brilliant did you know about nice. that before getting there or did you just stumble across it not at all completely stumbled across it um oh, best. i love that it was it was the best mm, yeah and yeah, you something and you bought a zine with you as well alice you bought uh goddess of sin act one i did which uh um, of, which i was very uh, very pleased about thank you and uh what um what inspired you to start uh putting that together so goddess of sin started as a kind of an inktober project um mm. so i am a poet as well as a critic um and i i kind of wanted to do this um inktober like poem a day kind of thing yeah um that ended up becoming like two because I, I i tend to do kind of epic uh narrative style poetry um that's that's kind of my forte um mm. and like the idea specifically for goddess of sin um if anyone like like if you know dark souls you know kind of where the title's from um you can kind of guess where i got my inspiration from there's a uh uh character mentioned in in dark souls velka the goddess of sin right um who like almost no one knows anything about that character other than a few vague mentions and i kind of sat there while playing dark souls and was just like what on earth does it actually mean to be a goddess of sin Hmm. um and then kind of just started writing and it was very off the cuff very um stream of consciousness um poems that i wrote like every morning ended up kind of refining that night and posting and ended up being 15 parts and the zine that I brought down to Thought Bubble just kind of like to bring around to give to friends and family to like show people my work physically mm-hmm. um, was the first three parts which make up act one. The pseudo goal is to get kind of really into bookmaking and get like a proper um like a chap book uh, that I make for all 15 parts next year. Fingers wow. crossed. That's really um, cool. So nice. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, I wish I had a chance to see that. That sounds very interesting. I'll yeah. definitely try and get you one. Uh, please do. Thank you. That would be lovely. <laughs> There's something about um, a physical copy of it, isn't there, as well? Like, I've, I've gotten back into yeah, yeah. getting physical copies of books and things recently because mm-hmm. I... 
I've realized that like digital, especially novels, like I love reading like the physical novel as well, um, rather than digital, yeah. because there's just a sense of kind of progress and a sense of intimacy with actually handling the stuff. Like, did you feel like when you had had it printed out that you you had it was it felt a bit more real to you, had a bit more of an attachment to it, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um mm. Cause like I posted them all like through my Twitter and my Instagram and like I had a couple people who like followed along with it. I had a couple people who like saw that I was posting it and then once they saw that I'd finished kind of caught up with it. But like yeah. physically giving because like I gave it to a bunch of people. I gave it to a bunch of people I wasn't expecting to give it to. Um yeah. just like artists that I like kind of had bought their work. Um there's an artist I love, Jen Ravenna, who was there. Um was very lucky to get to talk to her and like after buying a bunch of her prints, I was just kind of like, hey, do you want my zine? Like, I have it with me. I don't want to bring any copies back. And she was, like, really super sweet about it, really took it, and, like, kind of we've uh, connected on Twitter since. And, like, it's such a great way of still of getting your work out there. Like, even yeah. if it's, like, I look at it and it's, like, the most DIY handmade zine possible. You know, it's literally me. I, I so I I found a like free like open source kind of uh, handwritten style font, printed out the poems, and then like right. cut out those and stuck them to nice cardstock, and then scanned that in, and then printed from that. So it looks kind of looks kind of janky. Nice. Um, but, like yeah, I wanted yeah. it to look like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a, a certain like aesthetic that comes with expectations of zines isn't it like I, that's what i love about it i think people work so hard to make their work look professional when in actual fact if you you know if you just put if your heart and soul is in the book like it will come out no matter the quality and like i think that people's zines that they've hand folded or like kind of they've they've written their own like they've written the titles on them and things like that i love that because it firstly it makes it kind of unique and one of a kind and but also i think that adds to the whole aesthetic of zines that people put out like their work like this yeah like what about you Aditya when you started seeing your work like in print for the first time like when I mean what was that um with western comics or did you get that in India as well like your work and um, how did that feel when you first uh, got your work out there yeah I think uh, uh actually it was a mostly a learning experience for me uh when I first saw things in print because uh I I'd kind of been writing comics for a long time and it hadn't been going anywhere so like I hadn't actually seen any of them drawn right mm. so once you see something drawn and then on paper, uh, like my first reaction to was to see all the mistakes that I'd made, um, which was actually interesting. Like um, you, you I, I kind of, so for example, they were comics, right? So like I could figure out, oh, I had no idea that pacing works this way and, you know, stuff like that. But what I realized based on that is that that's the first time it felt real yeah. in a way, you know, like that. Okay, so this is a thing now. Um and that that's interesting because uh, I think most of my first comics have gotten print runs of maybe like a thousand copies because uh, they appeared in these uh, fairly niche magazines. Um, but like, I like the idea that like somebody picks that up and kind of that, then has a connection with with that uh, without expecting it. Like, you know, I think a, a lot of these zines and stuff that the, the awesome thing about them is that you don't really necessarily expect what's inside them. Yeah. Um, and like here, here are people picking up like a political, uh, politically motivated magazine, and suddenly there's a four-page story about uh, like just the weirdos that I wanted to write about. So, uh, <laughs> that that was that was my first reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think that's that's the that's the key with it as well isn't it really is is having this connection with the work and if you have that connection through through physical means then that just kind of enhances the connection with the fans as well I imagine like especially with zines and things getting your as you said Alice getting your work into the hands of people like it is it's not just seeing a like a, a number ticker on a on a screen it's actually you know they're picking up your work they've got it in their hands and stuff it's great but um, but Aditya, before we um before we started recording, you were talking about how you uh, got into comics um as an adult and how you were you know you didn't have that kind of connection with comics. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. But so you you start did you read much comics when you were younger or um was it just when you connected when you were older? 
No, I I read um I read comics like but they were Indian comics. So mm. um uh you know we used to have these um uh, sort of uh, uh put together uh, newspaper strips of the Phantom strip. Oh, okay. uh, so they were kind of put together as a comic. So they had this very like actually uh, they had this very strange rhythm to them that I only made sense when as an adult I realized that they used to be newspaper strips uh because like almost uh you know in the middle of every page there would be a repeated panel and they would explain where the story was okay. and i kept wondering wait like i mean i can i can see this but that it kind of gave it a little hypnotic rhythm so to speak yeah. um so i kind of grew up in, on those comics and asterix tintin um and i think the one superhero comic that i read was a um spider-man comic written by roger stern mm. that i tracked down like sometime late last year I, because i was like okay i have to figure out what what comic was that <laughs> yeah. um, uh, other than that i read like indian comics like you know there, there's this one children's magazine called tinkle mm. uh, which i don't think they realized what like tinkle meant <laughs> I, I, i think they that the name came from like the twinkle twinkle little star kind of thing right yeah um So I read those and those were mostly like one page strips and stuff and then um I joined the British Council Library in Pune hmm. um and I used to read sight and sound uh because I used to like uh, again like I didn't I, I didn't have a chance to watch these movies but I could at least read about them like these very interesting movies from Argentina or like something like that and then there was an article about graphic novels and suddenly I was like oh the comics that I used used to read as a kid you can do this in those now so that was like stuff like uncle sam uh, sin city watchmen and suddenly i was like you know what i think i think maybe it's time for me to read these things yeah yeah um, yeah the dark knight returns and i think i think it was like a for a lay person it was a very useful primer uh, obviously like after you read they they were the basic the 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 known stuff essentially and that's when i started reading comics again so i think the first comic i read as an adult was Sin City and then a terrible issue of uh, Superman versus Predator or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh I mean to its credit I actually enjoyed it. Uh, also yeah. Kevin Nolan had inked it so obviously there was there was something to you know uh, prop it up at least. Yeah, yeah. And what about you Alice? Did you grow up reading comics? I did. Well, I did and I didn't. Um so I grew up in Scotland and I grew up in a relatively kind of out of the way town um that's kind of like uh like half an hour away from edinburgh hmm. so like there wasn't a comic book store anywhere near me right. but like i knew the characters you know i grew <laughs> up with uh like the animated versions of a lot of the characters like the 90s batman and spider-man and x-men animated series like yeah yeah those were my touchstones for superhero characters Um and so I was kind of lucky whenever I would find like some kind of like uh there was like the you might remember this the the Panini Press uh like European editions of like American superhero comics Oh yeah like the cardboard covers like the yeah. collected like two or three issues at once yeah Yeah so like there was like a handful of those I might have got throughout mm. the years um I think I remember getting the first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man like the very very first issue oh, yeah. um back when it was like Bendis and uh uh Mark Bagley yeah. um as like the Panini Press version and like being like oh there are Spider-Man comic books like I knew this but like <laughs> I I get to read them now um yeah, yeah. right so yeah there was there was that and then it wasn't really until I want to say 2008ish I think it was around when the dark knight came out I got a copy of the killing joke um right and then it was like uh. oh I can get like uh graphic novels and and trade paperbacks and like started devouring those and then uh kind of started keeping up with uh when comics were coming out and like what was current and new and then dived into single issues with the new 52 weirdly enough um yeah and then have uh stuck with it ever since <laughs> i think that's like that's a thing that is a bit underestimated or uh, underrated or at least like kind of um people don't tend to 
think about it much anymore with like digital comics and the fact that you know we're all in comics in in various ways and so i the we kind of underestimate the fact that when we were younger like especially as three people that weren't weren't in america like we didn't we grew up outside of america like the the difficulty of of finding those comics and finding your way in when you were younger mm-hmm. like finding a way into kind of reading these comics wasn't yeah. just really as simple as as picking up comics on the newsstand right but actually i think um, there's there's a fascination to that like uh, i think apart from like i was i was just thinking about this apart from the spider-man comic i think i read one issue of rom space knight um <laughs> uh, one issue from somewhere after the death of superman yeah um and that's it um so like but but it was it was really fascinating to me to try and imagine everything that's come before and that's going to happen after which i actually now sort of don't find in those comics like i have no particular like because i can sort of just figure it out and track it down and just start from issue 1 yeah. i don't have that actual enjoyment of being in some being somewhere somewhere that i don't quite mm-hmm. understand uh, See, you know, the history of being kind of dropped in, like in media res, was part of the part of the excitement of it. Yeah, because because I remember that the 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 Rom Space Knight issue had uh, featured Mystique, Rogue, and Destiny, and the thing is, those characters have never been as interesting to me as they were in that comic because I thought that they were most the most important characters in that universe, yeah. and then I start reading other Marvel comics and realize, oh, they're they're not, and that's that's disappointing. Mm. Uh, so like. That that magic is not quite there mm-hmm. afterwards, or, almost. Uh, you know, so it, it's it's actually more more interesting to, to kind of just dip in and dip out, like rather than just find everything. Yeah, I think with a lot of things like this, uh, we're almost the last generation that will have that kind of emotion like you know the old it's like music kind of like listening to things on recording stuff off the radio onto cassettes and things like that and and uh movies that you you know you watched in the cinema and then you just never saw again <laughs> there was, there was just an expectation that if you wanted them you had to buy them on vhs and things like that but like with comics especially you we've gone from being when we were younger to kind of grabbing everything we could and reading and absorbing everything we could because it wasn't freely available to you and yeah. to now where it's almost like there's too much choice for a lot of people getting into comics for the first time their experiences well where do i start you know whereas we were like you start at issue you know 212 <laughs> of a random series because that's the one that's in the shop at the time whereas now it's like well I, there are so many issue ones like i do not know where to begin yeah strange isn't it how the the you know the things change but but you were talking as well about the fact that um nostalgia doesn't play as important part for you and so you're kind of you feel as though you can almost look from the outside in on especially like big superhero franchises right yeah yeah absolutely because uh, for, for me the interesting thing about the form was always the like the, the the book i've chosen today kind of is an example of that that it's like what Harvey Pika said about like it's words and pictures and you can do mm-hmm. anything with words and pictures. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the exciting thing for me about the medium. So um, like, I mean, I, I actually feel this about the MCU ra- now as well. Like when, when, f- when, for example, there's the next announcement of what the movie is going to be or like which character is going to appear. I'm sort of like, all I can see is that, oh, okay. But these people own those characters. They can put them anywhere they want. Like, why, why, why are people yeah. excited about this? <laughs> um, you know, like that that sort of... Um, yeah, so I, I don't quite understand. On the other hand, like, um, like I've, I, have, I will always be more excited about an, a particular artist that I love, their new creator-owned comic than... Uh, like, for example, like Nick Dragota on Fantastic Four. Fine. Mm. But Nick Dragota on East of West. Right. That's yeah. my that's that's where it gets really exciting to me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so like uh, that, that it feels like I'm sort of on the outside of something that everybody else can see, but I can't quite. But then I have my little coterie of people who also can sort of think the same way. So it's sort of, uh, I mean, I have company at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, that's definitely the way the way i feel about comics at the moment i feel as though i'm i think there's the the energy and the you know we talked about the kind of the the heart and soul in comic zines i think that's that kind of heart and soul and raw 
like passion and talent uh, for the medium is is much more evident in creator own stuff and and that's kind of that understandably so isn't it really yeah i think um, uh, like uh, this is this is something else i've observed because because i came from prose to comics um in prose um tie in com- tie in prose was always considered inferior to like original prose uh, right. So like a Star Trek novel is obviously not as good as um, like an original science fiction novel. Uh, I mean, I, it's not not to say that I agree with that necessarily, uh, because some of my favorite novels are Doctor Who novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, the, the idea that something is better because it comes with a pre-existing property um, is still a little strange to me because for me, the job of like creators is to create new things. Um, and it's always a little mystifying that people always go after the thing that's already been done. Yeah. So, you know, so like um, Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol is, I, I like that because like some, they did something new with that. But then uh, like there's other stuff that they might have done where I'm like, you know what, people like it. It's not really my... Um, mm. You know, I don't see what the interesting thing about it is. But I, but I, I suppose like you have to have all of those, right? Because even in prose, like there will be, there will be people who kind of go for the familiar, like they'll go for the next Robert Ludlum or like whoever, uh, mm. just like because it's more familiar. Yeah. And what about you, Alice? Do you feel as though, because you were saying you grew up with obviously the, the X-Men, the Spider-Man cartoons and stuff, so they like superheroes are very much um what you thought of as comics i imagine back then yeah. but what have your tastes changed as you've as you've grown up and you've kind of moved into the comics like community a bit more as well do you think definitely i mean i i say this somewhat ironically i i haven't actually bought like a marvel or dc comic or even really like image comics like for for some reason like those kind of big three kind of feel like the kind of dominant parts of the industry um, for right. better or worse, uh, kind of monopolizing certain genres and styles. Um, but I also have been like binging some like mid two thousands trash on Marvel Unlimited, so <laughs> I, I I still get yeah. my fix of uh, trashy superhero comics. But like that's kind of how I see them is kind of not well. Trashy is a a loaded word, but kind of like the same way people keep up with soap operas, you know. Um, I'm not really thinking of as like, there are certain books that come around every so often that you're like, okay, someone's doing something that feels important with this character or property. They're, they're using this platform to say something interesting. Um, but most of the time it's kind of, I, I catch up with my favorite character, my, my, my favorite stories. But when it comes down to the, the stuff that sticks with me, it's like what I was saying with getting the stuff at thought bubble it's like small press like independent publishers independent artists um the people who are just telling the stories they want to tell because it's important to them regardless of any kind of notion of you know can this be made into a tv show can this be made into a movie like how can we market this outside of this very niche industry and like that was kind of what was bumming me out with because I, I used to be super big on like image comics um kind of like a- around when like saga up to like uh when east was west was coming out like that, that kind of like two three year span of like 2012 to like 2015 um there were yeah. some real hot yeah. books coming out then and then i kind of look over image now and i'm like i'm seeing a lot of the same like genre touchstones because certain books have hit gold on tv and i'm like but like is this why we're making comics to make tv pilots yeah yeah it is it is worrying that that's the kind of the trend that it is is steering towards a bit more now isn't mm. it really like whether people have found an avenue that is like people are beginning to explore this idea of well if i have like a four issue miniseries that might expand to a tv mm. series and something. like i say yeah. that but like i i'd like obviously creators in comics don't make a ton of money. So like, I appreciate them just getting that bank, but I wish there was yeah. uh, more of a support network for, for smaller artists that aren't, you know, marketable, but are still doing really important work. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I, I had this fairly long discussion with somebody at Thought Bubble that I'm not going to name. Uh, but uh, basically, I tweeted at some point of time saying that, uh, you know, a comics creators, uh, sorry, not comics creators, like generally people should stop thinking that a comic is good when somebody decides to turn it into not a comic, uh, mm-hmm. by which I obviously meant like a movie or TV series. Um, and obviously, that's not what defines a good comic. And th- their point was this, that, um, you know, uh, there are very sp- few ways for comic creators to make bank um and the problem is sort of on both sides right like yeah. uh, the problem starts with the fact that um nobody would let, let's i mean i mean it's a vicious cycle so i wouldn't necessarily know where it starts but the problem is that let's say nobody nobody wants to buy a black and white comic so then obviously we have to make a color comic then color comic needs to come with a certain quality of paper and all of those things so at some point in time your cost increases to the point where you need to sell x amount of copies to start making money and the problem is that you're making money in a very small industry mm-hmm. so uh, like unlike manga where uh, let's say i put in production money for like um like whatever like a thousand dollars or something that's going to go into a magazine who's going to pay me and then that magazine's going to make back that money with like you know thousands of sales and then it's going to become like a book so there are like ways of getting paid that are not available for mm-hmm. us yeah. so then after the direct market we ha- kind of have to chase um, you know option money uh, rather than chasing something else so I, I do agree that that's kind of restricted uh, the kind of comics that can be made um, but but the problem is that like uh, like see for example the zine makers at mm-hmm. festivals they're not they're not exactly making a lot of money. No. But I wish there was a way for them to make a, them to make a little more money so that sort of everybody could make a little more money. Like I, I like I wish that let's say I make a comic like like the peony gent comics that you uh, showed us. I wish that some you know they, those could sell like 10,000 copies because they are good enough. Like I, I looked at her work and I would love to for them to sell like 10,000 copies. I wish we had the kind of industry that uh, where that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny that it all kind of comes back down to like, you know, capitalism. Um, <laughs> not not to turn this uh, hyper political because I'm, you know, a millennial trans woman. Um, but like, it's it just sucks that, um, and it's always sucked that that art and is a business and an industry as much as it is yeah. an artistic field. Like, it's great to see people doing what they love, but also knowing that they have to like pay bills with that and and the way that the like kind of luck of the draw of like people who are able to make genuine real livable money in industries like this is fickle yeah yeah i feel as yeah, though I, I, like there's there's sorry there's a, there's like a middle ground as well i feel like there is um a way for these things to coexist because i, I do feel as though there are some books that haven't uh compromised on their um artistic creativity and still been able to be marketable mm-hmm. um and that's obviously quite rare for their like for, for the compromise to be so slim. Whereas what I don't like is what you were alluding to, Aditya, is this idea that comics are produced to be sold as like as properties. So like yeah. the like um, I think I think it's it's fair to say that a lot of Mark Miller's work at the moment feels very you know I, I feel as though there's they are designed to be sold as TV shows or movies. And I feel that comes across in reading the comics. I feel like the quality of the comic is affected by that. Um, whereas I think if there are books that are out there that are doing their own thing, that are capturing people's imaginations and becoming bankable, then like I don't have any problem with people making money from their work and selling their work you know, as TV shows and movies and whatever they want to sell them as. Um, but I feel as though if the, if the quality of the original product is compromised or the intent of the product is cynically in order to you know in order to make stuff like that then maybe that that kind of it loses its appeal to me a little bit i i'll agree with that uh, i th- i think it's a I, I i think the there there is also a middle ground there that there are people who um would be happy um not like you know writing for cinema or whatever like as in writing towards uh, options um but the thing is like the the economics kind of makes it such that um 
let's say they would be happy with their co- their book sell- selling 20,000 copies instead of 5,000, then they, they would write it and uh, produce it exactly like a comic. Yeah. Uh, but because they can't expect to sell those 20,000 copies, they might sort of change that the production and they change this kind of twist the story around just a little so that it in their eyes becomes a little more marketable. So I yeah. think there are like, I, I think this is, this is, this results in what I think of as the first issue syndrome mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of books that kind of um, tell you the premise in the first issue so that like, I mean, it's like there's the premise and nothing else almost. So they're kind of geared for you to buy the next one in a, slightly more cynical way than the creator would have thought if they had been assured that, you know, they would sell like maybe 2000 copies more. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think, I think there's a middle ground between like somebody just writing for options and somebody like, you know, uh, there are people who are 5% more cynical than they could be because they don't make as much as many sales. Like, um, you know, I think, I think that's sort of almost a bigger tragedy because, um, see the people who are going to write absolutely, uh, for things to be optioned, they'll probably just keep doing that. But there are people that we might be losing who are like on the cusp and that might be a little more of a tragedy for me, maybe. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the comics that you've brought with you then. Uh, let's talk about the comics that you love and uh, are you know important to you in some way. So Alice, let's start with you. What, uh, what did you bring to talk about today? So I have brought um, a book called Homunculus by Joe Sparrow. Um, which was published by Sharpbox um, and is incredible. Mm. It was at Thought Bubble, wasn't it? We were talking about earlier before we come on the show. It was the one of the things that I didn't pick up. <laughs> but it I wish was. I had, yeah. um, and it was one of the things that I very specifically was like, because I actually was uh, at the Sharpbox table last year. Mm. Um, I, I don't think I picked... Did I pick anything up? I certainly didn't pick up Homunculus. And then like did that thing where I saw someone like talking about it on Twitter, maybe a week later and was like, God damn it. I should have picked it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was like one of the top things on my list of like, I actually want to make sure I, I get this for myself. Um, and it did, did not disappoint. So um, nice. what's it, uh, what's it about then for people who haven't heard of it? So it is a very fascinating um, point of view comic. Um, and the point of view is from a artificial intelligence um, that is bound to a print. Like it's it's uh, hardware is very static. It basically looks like a giant box, hmm. um, and it, the entire comic is uh, like so. It's a three panel grid. Uh, these kind of wide panels, uh, three panels per page, um, and every panel is from the viewpoint of this artificial intelligence is like camera basically like it's eye um and you see its creator kind of teaching it how to think for itself and then the the kind of uh traditional um uh like complication of stories like this which is funding uh becomes an issue and then a certain thing happens towards the middle of the book that makes it become this very bittersweet tragedy um of of watching this through the eyes of this artificial intelligence have to deal with uh being so static in a world that's completely changing around it um and it's just this wonderfully beautiful book Hmm. It sounds amazing. Like I, as I say, I'd missed the chance to to pick it up, but you can get it from shortbox.com at the moment. Um, and there are some preview pages on there as well. Um, did you, is this, did you see this book when you were there or? Uh, no, but I've seen some of Joe Sparrow's other work on Twitter, like posted by people. Mm. Uh, and it looks beautiful. Like I looked it up after uh, Alice mentioned it. And uh, what I'd be very curious to know is, um, the static perspective, that's sort of like um, a conceit, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you find that that adds to the telling? Like, what do you feel the books would have lost without it? Um, certainly what the book would have lost without it is after a certain point in the uh, book, like an event happens and the the book becomes literally the passage of time. Um, you get to see this... Um, artificial intelligence survive in one spot 
as the entire world changes around it. And it, it's um, oh, potentially, wow. you know, hundreds, thousands of years, you get to see the the kind of timeless quality of this, uh, of this artificial intelligence as it just lives through like literal right. epics. Um, and it's, it's very subtly done. The environment art by Joe Sparrow is very, um, very lovingly, um, meticulous like it goes from this very sterile um kind of office scenario that's full of cables full of um you know other computers and and uh whiteboards and stuff like that which is colored in this really um low contrast kind of grayscale um which makes the the foreground colors of of the character's creator and like whatever like there's a bit where they're playing go and like the board is is colored whereas the background is quite um it's almost white like the the details very subtle and then all of a sudden the background becomes the focal point of the comic is watching this entire world changing around the artificial intelligence right well that 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 actually uh, to a degree reminds me of uh, richard maguire's here if uh, either of you have read that i don't think um, so I have seen so, so it, that, I think. Yes, yeah, so that was originally a six-page comic uh, that was later expanded into an entire graphic novel where it's sort of, it's um, it's a view through the years of a living room corner. Oh, I have seen uh, this in, in bookshops. I haven't picked it up yet. Yeah. Right. That I actually prefer the six-page version, like the original. Mm. Uh, but the the book obviously expands it. So uh, I think that the thing that Richard Maguire does that uh, Joe Sparrow doesn't do is, um, so the 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 story is non-linear. So mm. you can you see a panel from like 1971 at the same time as a panel from like 2099, mm-hmm. um, and like the the one is overlaid over the other. So the 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 geographical space is the same but the chronological space keeps changing yeah uh, throughout mm. yeah but this sounds damn interesting like this this is like I, i'm guessing this is chronologically linear yeah it is so you just kind of see time go by mm. oh that's that's nice yeah, um yeah. the the kind of easiest touchstone and i feel like this is like the probably if it's going to be compared to anything it'll be compared to this is like the boot up sequence in robocop um, right. Okay. If you yeah. remember right. that, the yeah, it's like you're going to be one bad mother, you know. Um, yeah, that was it. <laughs> it's kind of that, but uh, uh, a lot more um, somber and kind of bittersweet and less, you know, Verhoeven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing, and it sounds like it's um, is like going for like the kind of the themes it's going for sounds like it's you know it's about kind of the passage of time mm-hmm. and about you know uh, how the artificial intelligence is created for kind of to be a mirror of humanity but then ends up having to kind of step outside of that a little yeah. bit in order to you know process the things that it's that it's absorbing when it's going through time right uh, I'm going to try and pick this up at some point. It yeah, sounds lovely. Yeah. yeah, And it does sound similar to here in, in that sense, but I think here, it sound, like, I, I have picked up here a few times, but as you're saying it, because it's it's more, um, the geography is more kind of, or the, you know, the room itself. Yeah, it's, it, correct. It's it's a bit colder because um, there's no there's no character that you're looking mm-hmm. through. There's no one person to kind of hold on to. Mm-hmm. That's actually why I prefer the six-page yeah. version because... It's got a few kind of characters that you can kind of hold on to for a little bit, but this sounds great in that there's just one character and you kind of, and also like, I'm guessing that you sort of understand what it's feeling, but it's you never kind yeah. of shown it, so uh, you can sort of put yourself in the space and imagine what it's feeling through yeah, these things. Yeah. 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 And why was it important to you, Alice, to talk about this one today? Was this something that um, really kind of spoke to you as a as a book? Is this something that you feel? Like is the kind of thing that you're into comics wise at the moment? It is. It is. It's very. Um, I I find myself kind of leaning towards these like small, intimate kind of stories, like very slice of life. Um, like one of the things I really love about this book is that there's like one other character really other than uh, Daisy, which is the artificial intelligence, and that's Veronica, which is the engineer. Um, mm. and she is in every single panel up to like a certain midpoint in the story um constantly talking like literally to 
you know the 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 reader's point of view um the camera if right. you will um and so you get this real sense of uh a connection there a a there's always like a a person uh kind of present there's 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 a humanity there and then when the, all of a sudden that goes away you kind of get this feeling of like like you said you know we we created are going to create uh have created artificial intelligence to mirror us but they're mm. they're so completely different to us from the and and this just kind of logical sense that you know to sit there for what could be hundreds of years, thousands of years, and experience just the simple passage of time without anyone. You know, that's really mm-hmm. what makes those kind of like passage of time pages uh, speak to me is the fact that you go from kind of constantly having this dialogue, this kind of, uh, 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 what, what's the word I'm trying to look for? Uh, like connection. Yeah. Um, to like a, a character on the page to nothing. It's just environment. Um, and and it's a, a real sharp turning point for the book. And it just that emotional kind of uh, uh, void that you're suddenly projecting onto the, the artificial intelligence really, really hit home for me. And you can get that. Uh, that's Homunculus by Joe Sparrow, and you can pick that up at... I think you can still buy it from Shortbox at the moment. I think so. I just want to make sure that people can get it. Yeah, it's, it's £12 on uh, the uh, Shortbox website. That's shortbox.com.co.uk, uh, actually. Brilliant. Oh, thank you Thank you for bringing that on. I'm uh, definitely going to pick that up. Hell yeah. I say thank you, but it's you know it's going to cost me more money. It's in you know near, near Christmas and everything. You know, oh, it's, you know. it's, it's a real pint to be honest, but you know I'm uh, happy to do it. Um, so uh, Aditya, what's the book you bought with you uh, today? Uh, yeah, so the book I brought with me is um, Vertigo Voices uh, Face. Um, so it, that's a one shot released in 1995, written by Peter Milligan and drawn by Duncan Figueredo. This is like this is a fascinating choice for me because I I love I mean that's peak kind of vertigo era isn't it really that's a great kind of time i i know that that's kind of like um i was just uh sitting and trying to think about what for me is like um the definitive period of when i kind of got into comics mm. and that was like the peak vertigo period because uh, i just discovered it like 10 years later uh but those comics kind of really defined my early reading mm. and in some ways like this book was the perfect thing because this was the follow-up to like enigma uh and enigma is a book i dearly love but it has a few problems like there's there's some issues Mm -hmm. uh but face on the other hand was just um it represents to me the idea of like you can do anything in comics um like so that that's why i kind of brought yeah i mean i'd not heard of it it's a so it's a one shot from peter milligan and duncan vergredo who have obviously um, come into Vertigo, but then they've gone on to to bigger and and, and, and other things that they've gone on to. But um, what, yeah, um, can you describe what this issue is about? Sure. So it was, I think, one of three or four one shots uh, released by Vertigo around the same time, including "Kill Your Boyfriend" by uh, Grant Morrison and uh, Philip Bond. I think that's the most famous of of those. Um, so yeah, certainly what I've heard of. Yeah. Right, yeah. So Warren Ellis described those uh, these books as sort of uh, these pop songs uh, that they were trying. But like immediately the idea kind of falls apart because while Kill Your Boyfriend is exactly that, it's like a, you know, it's like a punk. Sorry, I, I wouldn't say punk maybe, but like uh, it's like that kind of, um, it's got that snatch and rock and roller feel to it. Uh, on the other hand, like Face is just this, um, thing that's sort of influenced by uh, I, I don't know like uh, American literature like T. Coragason Boyle or like Edgar Allan Poe or something like that mm-hmm. and it's just this um, strange book that sits in the middle of Vertigo and kind of um, shows you its contradictions uh, so that's that's why I like this particular one mm-hmm. like it's not even necessarily their best book it's just the the one where you can sort of see the unfettered 
id of vertigo yeah yeah and i think vertigo at that time was fascinating as well because it goes back to what we were talking about really about us the three of us being american outsiders like looking into the uh, the industry and having our opinions changed because of our experiences outside of america vertigo at that time was yeah. was the british invasion wasn't it so a lot of um a lot of like the creators were kind of british creators coming in and shaking up the industry that had been very very americanized and they had brought their own kind of fresh perspectives and opinions and stories to to vertigo and that defined that era of comics really didn't it yeah and it's it's entirely produced uh like a, i think apart from the editor who's art young it's entirely produced in england if i'm not wrong right. like peter milligan duncan figredo and ellie deville uh were all in britain mm. uh so i i mean uh, this was the time when they they actually ended up using a lot of british letterers because uh it was actually easier to send the artwork to a british letterer because it had to be done by hand right yeah, right yeah uh yeah so this is from that time so i think like so um kind of let's just uh, give you a synopsis of it um it's basically about this um uh, plastic surgeon like uh, american plastic surgeon who gets um uh, who gets called by this uh, uh sort of artist who's in hiding for the last 40 50 years and who wants plastic surgery done on him um and this guy accepts because he has a bit of an ego like so it also like kind of shows you that particular era of like uh, you know a lot of the characters were kind of repugnant like they were not really nice people you're not supposed to necessarily like yeah. them at all so he's a great example of that and so he goes to this island and then like stuff starts happening so that's sort of the um synopsis of it so it plays out sort of like a mix between a twilight zone episode or like as i said a t coragason boyle short story mm. um and like it's all fit, like because you don't like the people involved it can go into places that you wouldn't necessarily take uh, other stories and also because because it's short because it's like 50 pages um it also doesn't like outlast its welcome yeah. so it's got this very um it's got this very brash feeling to it that kind of i really enjoy yeah yeah and it was unlike anything you kind of seen before uh actually not quite i would say it was uh, a lot like other things that i seen before but never like a comic that i'd seen right. before like i'd seen stuff like this in uh, prose quite a bit or like even like so i mean they obviously make a lot out of like um, there's a lot of references to greek myths and to uh, uh modernist art mm. Uh, and obviously so you've seen stuff like that there but you've never seen this in comics yeah yeah i know what you mean yeah and what about you alice is this uh, is this an issue that you'd heard of before or um like what was your it's really not uh like i said the like i hadn't even heard of vertigo voices as a thing um mostly because in 1995 yeah. i was a 2-year-old um <laughs> so this is this is going back far before my my time uh, in comics yeah. um right but like i've i've heard of kill your boyfriend obviously cuz i'm a massive mark for grant morrison um <laughs> but um milligan and figredo are are car- are creators that like i don't know a ton of their work um but they every time they kind of come across i come across stuff of theirs and and do end up reading it i i do end up really enjoying it so mm. it feels like one that yeah. I, if i can track it down i'm definitely going to read it yeah 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 like they they're re- doing a re- um Karen Burger's Burger Books is doing a re-release of Enigma next year oh, yeah. which I'm looking forward to because there's there's going to be new colors like uh Sherilyn Van Wal like hang on I I don't quite know how to pronounce her name <laughs> uh Sherilyn Van Valkenburg yeah okay. that's, that's, I think that's true uh so she's recoloring the whole thing so that's going to be interesting so it, it's like I I think there was there was a particular era of um um I don't know like the I I think the idea that you can make comics that a lot of people wouldn't like and that's fine if if like the people who like it like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. You know, th- there was a time when that that was kind of like an overarching feeling in at least like independent comics. And I think this this like it literally starts the first page is a man carving his own face open. Mm. uh like uh, he's a plastic surgeon and he's carving his own face open and like it's just one page and it's probably the most disgusting page in the book uh, nothing after that kind of 
uh, comes up to that level of body horror. But it's fascinating that you can start a book like that mm-hmm. at some point. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, and this is supposed to be like a reasonably popular book. I, I mean, at least it's intended to be a reasonably popular book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that so that that particular um, thin line between uh, what is kind of outre or avant-garde and what is like mainstream. Uh, and I think Vertigo was trying to kind of toe that line quite a bit uh, during the 90s. And at some point of time, it fell to one or the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, yeah, like this book kind of is, I, I mean, it is, it is simultaneously sort of like a very, um, like it's Milligan showing off his reading at times. Like it's like a very, uh, like clearly well-read kind yeah. of book. And on the other hand, it's also like a very indulgent horror kind of, or like just like gory kind of book. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's got that, that, that thing of like, we are smart, but we are also like, kitschy you're also like dirty yeah i feel like that's a very very good encapsulation of vertigo as a whole at that time as well though really wasn't it it's like very very like well-read people but they're they're kind of booking the system and kind of very very punk rock aesthetic as you were saying and, and also that idea of bringing that independent comic energy and vibe into a mainstream publisher was uh you know something very new at the time wasn't it yeah also i think uh, like morrison has said this a couple of times that there were a bunch of scripts that he wrote for vertigo that was essentially written mm-hmm. on a weekend mm-hmm. um and that idea i don't think anybody no. would do that now like that idea of purposefully writing a script in a rush because you feel that that would make it better yeah yeah i suppose potentially wouldn't get through editorial really as well because there's a lot more restrictor <laughs> kind of editorial uh, like mandates at the moment as well isn't it? Yeah. No, but also I think, uh, I mean, there is there are advantages to that. There are certain things that you do in a rush that uh, are not necessarily good. But also this idea that there can be comics uh, that can be done in a rush and like a lot of people will read them. Like that Steve Gerber thing of, uh, you know what, I couldn't write a comic this month, so I'm just going to write yeah. you an essay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that idea of like, so this is not, this is not a very subtle comic at times. Like there's a lot of like very obvious uh, stuff that Milligan's writing, but I'm pretty sure like he really enjoyed writing. Yeah. You get that feel, you get that sense from the energy of it. Yeah. Yeah. Partly to kind of circle back, like as I was saying with Goddess of Sin earlier, um, I did all of that like stream of consciousness the morning, like I was posting it. Um, so that mm. feels like a kind of similar energy of like just letting the raw kind of story form itself out of you, not thinking too hard about necessarily like the the structure or or the the kind of meticulousness of it, and just letting that kind of rawness kind of be at the fore, um, which I yeah. feel like are kind of the stories yeah. that for me end up sticking with me more. Um, yeah. So that definitely sounds like like right. my kind of jam. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually so I um for people who don't know, I used to have like a former career as a writer, and one of the things that I did back then was this mm-hmm. thing called daily fiction, where I was I would do five stories a week. So like every morning, I'd write a story and post it exactly at noon. Uh, so there were times when I've kind of stayed up all through the night to, just to kind of get a story done. Uh, I didn't manage like a whole year. I was supposed to do 250 and I think I crapped out at like 230. Um, still a lot. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah but exactly. <laughs> and I, I mean, the, the, the desperation of that led to a lot of crap, but it also led to a lot of stuff that I wouldn't write otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm really happy that I kind of did something like that where there's a lot of stuff in my brain that would never necessarily come out if I was filtering it. So that just that the thing of something has to go up at noon mm-hmm. uh, has this kind of urgency to it that just, you know, it, it kind of gets things out of you that other other like deadlines would yeah. not. Yeah, like a raw yeah. energy to it that yeah. I feel like, yeah, that, that kind of that kind of edge that you were talking about having, you know, that gets gets like filed down over time by compromise and, and yeah. marketability, I suppose. Right. Uh, like, I, I, I mean, this is not exactly like a uh, like a one to one example here. But uh, so I was writing about November in the latest mm-hmm. panel X panel. So I wrote about the lettering in that. But I also kind of went back and commented on uh, Casanova and like what the ways in which Matt Fraction 
expresses himself personally so in casino i remember the original image edition had this back matter which had like these very personal essays about whatever was going on i think one of them was actually about like uh, you know their pregnancy and like complications that happened there um and as a creator gets older and more mature and more successful they can't quite do that so um so in in there i was talking about the way that that expresses itself now but there is something lost when you can't just put yourself out yeah. there right in in that yeah, yeah yeah and i imagine as a as a massive grant morrison fan alice your your experience with vertigo is like one of you know you do like a lot of vertigo comics i do like a lot of vertical comics yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i like yeah, likewise yeah. likewise it was a it was a good i think that was a good era for vertigo definitely and it, it is a shame to see what's happened to it over time but at the same time i think it goes back to that feeling of having that kind of raw energy and just the the amount of talent in such a short amount of time that came through the doors um but also the the freedom that they were given by um you know by the yeah. editors to, to to do their thing yeah no i was uh, like as like alice was talking about this a little while ago like i was hoping that a certain kind of image comic would kind of take um take up the slack but i think the problem there is that um vertigo was paying people in a way that image doesn't image kind of uh lets you produce your comic and so like there's a certain freedom uh that's there like knowing that you're going to get yeah well, there is that as well yeah <laughs> so you can yeah. Um, well, I have taken yeah. up far too much of your time. Thank you both very much. It's been fascinating to talk to you and to get to know you both through the comics that you love. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's the Issue is part of the Multiversity Comics Podcast Network. You can find this show and plenty more at multiversitycomics.com. You can subscribe to the show via Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please consider sharing this episode with a friend. The show is on Twitter at That's The Issue, and I'm on there too at Matt Loon. Finally, you can contact the show via email at That's The Issue Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.